0: Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend,
1: a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere.
0: I'm Amina Tuso,
1: And I'm Anne Friedman. What are we talking about this week?
0: Well, this week we are talking about resilience and chaos. We're talking about loss, love, and the hidden order of life. <laughs> um, that is literally the subtitle of Lulu Miller's uh, new book why fish don't exist a story of lost love and the hidden order of life a book that i have greatly enjoyed
1: Hello. (laughs) I love we were so low energy in the intro and then you really just brought us back up to a (laughs) hundred.
0: I am so low energy doesn't even begin to explain the level of just like despondency and sadness (laughs) of the last couple of days
1: for me. I, (sighs) um, I was talking to my dear friend Jade Chang yesterday and she was asking me, why or whether we were feeling like we should be addressing this moment tm like more directly on the show and i was like which moment i have like 50 different moments every minute you know (laughs) like how do i even begin to talk about like where what how is going on
0: I've been singing, how do I live with a depression to the tune of how do I live without you? <laughs> My like, country, country music ballad of choice. And it's the only thing that like genuinely made me a little happy today. And I was like, you know, um, depression, but make it country. It'll be fine.
1: Wait, was how do I live? Was that from the Armageddon soundtrack or am I confusing it with something else? (laughs) Like too real. (laughs) I believe it was like the,
0: I, I believe it was in Armageddon. Hold on. I mean, where, where has Leanne Rimes not been? I was, I thought you were going to say, where has she been full stop? No, She's still around. She's still around. No, you are talking
1: about, you're talking about con air oh it's con air Uh okay you're talking about con air what's the armageddon song it's also really bad the armageddon song is
0: the one that Liv tyler's dad does steven tyler from that band can you tell how how little respect i have for rolling stones (laughs) you mean uh aerosmith aerosmith (laughs) 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 Uh, oh. oh Can you tell how little respect I have for white rock music? Um, one of those bands. Wow. Sorry to Rolling Stones for confusing you with Aerosmith. I I know that it
1: stings. Okay. Um, It's called, I don't want to miss a thing. That is the Armageddon one. Not to be confused with how do I live, which is a very different conundrum. (laughs) Yes. I don't want to miss a thing. I don't think is a good song. Um, (laughs) (laughs)
0: sorry i'm fully dying at this (laughs) leanne rhymes on the other hand is a genius who should be respected oh is leon
1: rhymes i hope you dance no oh my god (laughs) and what am i gonna do with you (laughs) I'm sorry, this is just like, you know, there is a certain strain of like late 90s through like pretty much late 90s pop culture that I as like an alt teen TM was like studiously ignorant of because like the alt and mainstream binary was very different in the 90s as we know. And it was like an identity thing to be like, I don't pay attention to that. Like I only pay attention to like whatever thing that I thought was cool. And so my knowledge is
0: because Lee Romack's
1: I hope you dance is an iconic song. I do not disagree. I'm just trying to explain that I have this kind of like blind spot by design from the late 90s (laughs) that I do not defend, (laughs) but is fully existent because of alt damage. Like, that's all I'm saying. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. This is making me really happy. I'm
0: still dying at the fact that I thought Rolling Stones and Aerosmith was the same band until like two seconds ago.
1: Listen, we all, like, I have mixed up the Leans. you have mixed up, like, the, like, aging white rockers. Like, it's fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> oh, my God.
0: To quote my girl Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel. Uh, <laughs> I was a person that the minute I moved to America, I was like, there is an entire channel that is dedicated to country music. I will absolutely watch this.
1: Oh, man. And also just like part of your Texas assimilation, I have to imagine. I
0: mean, Texas assimilation, but also a thing that I like didn't realize for a long time is my dad loved country music. So I actually grew up in a house where we listened to a lot of the stuff. And I when I accidentally ended up in Texas, all of the pieces came together. So it was really seamless for me. You were like, how did I live without this knowledge? <laughs> anyway, back to how do I live with depression? <laughs> a, hit single, a hit single from uh, Leanne Rhymes featuring Aminatuso. What are we
1: talking about this week?
0: Well, this week, we are talking about resilience and chaos. We're talking about loss, love, and the hidden order of life. (laughs) Um, That is literally the subtitle of Lulu Miller's uh, new book, Why Fish Don't Exist, a story of loss, love, and the hidden order of life. A book that I have greatly enjoyed.
1: I have to tell you that we are kind of organized for one of the first times ever in CYG history. And so I have already like listened to a cut of this interview and a few things I have to say about what everyone is in store for one, you remain one of my favorite interviewers of all time. It's like such a great conversation Two, you might cry, but like in a good way and three, like there is something I find very comforting about talking about this moment in this kind of like, these big, sweeping, historical, emotional terms as opposed to this really moment-to-moment ping-pong of feelings that I am experiencing. And so there's something about the scope of your conversation I also found really, really comforting. Aw, Anne Friedman, don't make me cry. I do feel like the... One thing that I wanted to talk about with you is like, you know, in your conversation, you kind of go from talking about the chaos of this moment and the kind of incomprehensibility of this moment to resilience and how does everyone get through the kinds of things that are threatening and challenging to our identity and lives and livelihoods. And I'm wondering about the relationship between those things. Like, does resilience feel like this like super far off goal because we're still in chaos or like, where are you at? (laughs) Wow. What a, what a question.
0: (laughs) I think that everyone, you know, like the way that your life is ordered, the way that your personal life is ordered, I think generally gives you a sense of how you approach even the little bit of chaos. And I also think that there is a kind of chaos that happens, like global pandemic, where, you know, no one is banking on it. And every single person in the world is going through it at the same time. That's uh, a once in a lifetime event that you can't plan. That also confronts you with the fact that chaos is everywhere all the time. And it can happen at any moment. That really also confronts you with your own, your own ability to be resilient or not. I very much can only speak for myself in this. I think that I've not had a charmed life. And so for that reason alone, chaos doesn't, um, it's not that it doesn't scare me, but it's that I am more, I'm more attuned to the fact that I'm constantly waiting for it, you know? And so I'm a very much like, when is the other shoe going to drop kind of human being, which is very bad for trying to live a normal life in the before times because all you're doing is like waiting for something bad to happen. It's not great for anxiety. It's not great for a lot of things. But when the bad thing does happen, it also (laughs) means that you're not starting from scratch, if that makes sense. Like chaos is inevitable and being confronted with situations in which you have to be resilient is also inevitable. I firmly believe, and maybe it's not accurate, like I don't know the science of this, but I believe that Most people have a store of resilience that they are not fully tapped into because either they're not asked to or, you know, or it feels like some sort of esoteric exercise, you know, like people who are always like, oh, other people are so strong. I'm like, don't worry, when your turn in the hot soup comes, you will also swim to the top like most people want to survive. Right, it's not an
1: option for most people. Right, like, oh, I chose to jump into the worst thing ever. You know,
0: right, and it it is truly like a, I don't know, and maybe also it's just like being a black woman. It's like one of the most like patronizing things that like people say to black women all the time. It's like oh, you're so strong, instead of saying like I'm so sorry that like the odds of life are really stacked against you. Most of the time, there's just this like faux. Like a, oh my god, I just admire how strong you are. and I'm like, don't worry if you uh, if you were also stacked with the odds that I was stacked with, you would probably be a strong person. So just to say that I think that both the things are things that are, you know, they're ever present. Um, we just choose to tune in to tune in and out of what it means for our lives.
1: Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about um, an episode of uh, Mary Choi's Hey Cool Life podcast that I listened to in like week two or three where she is talking about something that she's experiencing or like I guess was maybe experiencing, who knows where everyone is by this point, of really fully emotionally inhabiting all of the worst case scenarios for this moment, which I think is a little bit about what you're talking about with living with anxiety and she discusses her process of trying very consciously to convince herself that it's not going to ease the blow when the inevitable bad thing does happen just because she's lived in the bad moment like in, emotionally before like and it's interesting to hear you say that like oh when it does happen you've you felt kind of like more prepared or like i don't know like it has sort of like maybe changed how you feel about it and i don't know i i'm just i guess i'm just thinking about different people's relationship to the like like um, the anxiety provoking aspect of like the the chaos that is this moment and um, and when you said that I was just kind of struck by how different it was from what she said. and I don't really know where I come down on this question honestly and I think it feels really different minute to minute. but I will say that like these are the kinds of questions like I am more preoccupied with at the moment than maybe maybe some more like immediate headline things that I should be that I should be more tuned into. like I think these are the kinds of questions I'm interested in like asking my friends when I catch up with them about this like how are you? How does this chaos feel to you? Yeah, Um, I
0: also think that, you know, so much of that question for me is wrapped into, like, what kind of relationship one has with uh, one's trauma. And I think that it's really hard to untangle how you feel about this moment from how you feel about the trauma
1: of your life in general. Yeah, I mean, totally understandable. Um, what else do we need to know about Lulu? (laughs) Oh my God.
0: Lulu is an iconic radio reporter who is someone whose work you and I both enjoy. And you know how we love, we love a multi hyphenate in this family. So it was, it was a real treat to kind of see all of the reporting, you know, the, like her reporting skills and her writing skills and her analytical skills, like all, um, come to bear in like in a book form as opposed to radio and tell me what
1: why did you want to talk to her like right now like that's the other part of this she was the last book that i read in the before time (laughs)
0: <laughs> and so <laughs> I um, as you know, was on this like wild uh cross country saga, like flying to LA for like mere hours and then back to New York. And uh PS also
1: the only reason we have an author photo, so thank you.
0: <laughs> I know, and uh like that trip. I have many regrets about taking that trip, but our author photo and reading this book is, are not like regrets that I have. It was such an adventure. And when I was like Leaving the next day, I just like on a whim picked up the book because it was on my to read pile. And I was like, what seems small and like I can tackle it on this a six hour flight. And I couldn't believe when we landed in LA because I had been engrossed in the book from the moment I passed security. It just felt so right now you know so it's the story of this taxonomist named david star jordan who if you know what taxonomy is that's literally the like opposite of every the anything i ever want to do in my entire life i was like categorizing things like no thank you (laughs) that's my nightmare and so he's like basically credited with like discovering nearly a fifth of every fish that's known to humans his specimen collection is like one of the best collections in the whole world and it's demolished by lightning and um fire and then the 1906 san francisco earthquake so just like his entire life's work like Thousands of discoveries in these like tiny, fragile glass jars just like plummet to the floor, and his life's work is shattered. And instead of doing what I would do, which is just like quit life forever. (laughs) <laughs> he re- he rebuilt his entire collection and like rebuild it in such a way actually that means that it is more resilient and that uh you know like we like humankind actually learn something about the innovation that he does with the wreckage. But the way that Lulu tells a story is so engrossing because it's really a cautionary tale about like denial and hubris and you know like he's such a complicated human being. He's he's not a hero. You know, and then obviously they're the, and she makes these like really obvious parallels with all of the ways that her own life is unraveling. And I just, I couldn't stop thinking about it on the plane. And this was, you know, as coronavirus was like looming and, and it's been what, like six, seven, eight weeks since we've all been inside now. And I couldn't stop thinking about the story because, the point that she makes in the beginning is that chaos is just chaos is inevitable. It's like, if you know anything about physics, you know, anything about human life, you know, everything, anything about being alive, like chaos is, is a part is just, it's a part of our lives. And I think that so many of us go through so much to really, um, to really bury that or dull that or deny that, you know, the chaos is coming and then we have to live with the wreckage. And I've just been thinking so much about, this time as chaos, like the, the COVID chaos of it all. And the thing that's like amazing is that because Lulu writes about the David Starr Jordan story in parallel to her story, the obvious thing to do as a reader is also to see their own parallels <laughs> in your own life and you're like, okay, great. Like I feel I feel deeply inspired by this on so many lanes. The book is really a deep dive into the story of a man who believed that he could make sense of a chaotic world that we live in. Yeah. And you investigate how he's able to overcome the loss of his life's work. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but also the loss of his children and his wife and his colleague. Everyone dies too young around him. Yeah, And he's a very resilient man.
2: Yeah, he has some but like oversized heaping spoonful of confidence and optimism that just intrigued me and made me wonder like, how do you not take the hint that you're not gonna succeed? Like that was what drew me in about him was just like, how can everything keep falling apart and you seem to just charmingly click your heels and keep going? Like what becomes of you when you act that way? And are you on a path to utter humiliation? which is kind of what i first thought about him like he seemed like an icarus he seemed too prideful he seemed dangerous well um, can
0: you tell us without giving too much away about um david Starr jordan the uh star 19th century taxonomist that is uh now one of my heroes Um, (laughs) can you tell a little bit about his story
2: yeah so he basically he kind of you know he was born in upstate new york and was this very curious kid loved nature he got so made fun of as a kid. He was beat up for caring about nature. He was like his teachers even mocked him. His first job as a teacher, his students like grabbed the pointer of his pointer out of his hands and set it on fire. And and yet still he just loved his little passion of of collecting flowers and naming them and then eventually he got into fish and wanting to name them and you know figure out how they were related to each other. And eventually he finds someone who tells him that this matters, a teacher in his life who basically says that to study nature is to try to understand the divine plan of God. And that gives him like a sense of purpose. And then he just very rapidly, honestly, like with that sense of purpose, you just see his life take this huge turn and then he's promoted, he beca- he gets a great job. He collects more and more fish. He and his colleagues basically eventually discover a full fifth of fish known to man in his day. So that's like a huge portion of the tree of life that he discovers. And he just gains more and more power and he's and he's really successful. But along the way, chaos keeps striking. So his first collection of fish is literally hit by lightning and burns to the ground. And he loses things that he hadn't named that weren't discovered. So there may have been fish that like we still don't know today. And it takes him 30 years to build it, back up and then it comes down in an earthquake the 1906 earthquake of San Francisco and and he just keeps going and he invents this new way of protect he believes protecting his fish against chaos and um, yeah and so that's what drew me in about him and I wondered like what becomes of you and what became of his fish and then his once I started to look into him it just became this really wild and at times profoundly dark story so yeah, that's him. That's that's DSJ, David Starr Jordan, this random old <laughs> white man I have spent a decade of my life contemplating. I d- it just happened. I don't know. It just happened because his story is so weird. We were talking about earlier,
0: the book just opens with this idea that chaos can strike any time in your life. And... You know the 1906 earthquake. Always, it seemed like this very quaint kind of idea to me. Was like, oh, chaos is for other people. But you know, COVID nineteen is the chaos that we are living through. Yeah,
2: totally. And so
0: the parallels just seem so obvious to me. Yeah. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think just this idea that chaos is always waiting to upend everything, and whether it's as massive as COVID or an earthquake, you know, just this massive scale of everything shutting down and life being completely upended and people losing livelihoods and lives, or whether it's small and it's just like, your sweet dog suddenly gets a blood cancer, dies in three days, you know, like w- whatever it is, chaos is going to destroy everything you hold dear and like ruin everything you're working on eventually. So I think for me, that's just a question of kind of how to move forward in the face of that. And he seemed to have something, like he seemed to have some ability to not be stopped by it. And I think what I, like part of why I I started investigating him, and again, I thought he would be like an essay. Like, I thought this was gonna be a week of my life. (laughs) Um, But he- (laughs) Not 10 years. Not 10 years, but he- um, Yeah, like I had screwed up a lot in life. Like the chaos I had brought into my own life was was not really coming from above, but was coming from within. But I'd wrecked a relationship by cheating and I felt really shamed and I was trying to patch it back up. And then I had left this dreamy job in radio to try to write fiction and was like so bad at it and nothing was working. And I was just kind of in a new place with no friends and was just sitting in my own wreckage and wondering literally just, am I foolish to keep working at these projects of fiction, this relationship showing no sign of mending? Um, Am I like walking myself off the plank of insanity? You know, like, am I walking toward humiliation to have faith in a thing? So like, I've wondered, you know, what became of him? And like, how do you deal with that doubt and that worry that you've crossed the line where persistence turns to madness? But I think about him in this moment, because basically without giving too much away, what he was really good at was not contemplating loss. So he didn't like look back and think about everything that got screwed up by the the earthquake. He just immediately jumped forward and was creative and was like, okay, well, what can I do in this moment? I mean, he just didn't waste time mourning. <laughs> which I don't know. I think there's something in that for this moment, which is just to say, you know, like we've all been stunned and feeling robbed in some way of something and, and that's valid. But maybe the way to move forward right now is to just to just be like, okay, cool, we're, we're all cut off. And some of our neighbors and friends are like on the front lines. How do we support them? How do we connect? Like, let's use this as a creative constraint. I don't know what the answer is, but but to think of that, I think about him
0: oh man i that is spurring me to think about so many things you know like on one hand this idea of looking at how someone else's life is wrecked and it helps you like map out Your own way out of your mess is something that I identify with so much. Yeah. The entire way that I'm coping with coronavirus is by reading about um, the Spanish flu. And the (laughs) thing that I am really loving, honestly, is the archival like um, fashion photography of this moment. Like the the masks that people were wearing in Spanish (gasps) flu are iconic. Wait, can you tell me about
2: one? Like what? Oh my gosh! I
0: will send you. I will text you photos as soon as we get off. Yes. But like these ladies in like a beautiful like 1918 like gowns and wearing these like ridiculous looking fashion masks have been so good to me yeah and there's just something about like just like the historical remove of it where it's like okay great um we are certainly not the first people going through like a global (laughs) massive pandemic but guess what like people got through it and alongside all of the newspaper coverage of like you know spanish flu, there is also gossip and there is also fashion and there's also like the economy is collapsing and there is there was something so soothing about Gosh. that for me I was like oh great the human spirit can remain petty through like this amazing
2: <laughs> <laughs> i know i was just about to say like is this the pettiest message to take but okay what's a haiku right the constraint of like five <laughs> syllables seven syllables five syllables artists have always been looking for constraints and we are in a massive constraint and like you could take that as a bummer or you could take that as as a moment to just think right like how do i design the most beautiful mask how do i like rig up a system to how do i learn morse code to chat with my neighbor i don't know whatever it is but like this is a massive constraint for all forms of artists and like for me, the, the question to solve is, yeah, it's like how to connect and how to how to be a mildly decent citizen a couple times a week. Like, <laughs> what can you
0: do? I, mean, I think that you're so right about the constraint, because I think that a thing like not to speak for everyone in the world, but I think that a thing that um, is so obvious to me about what is stressing me out about this moment yeah. is that it just lays bare How um, small my world is and how and how many limitations I have. It is just there are things that I like I obsess about all the time in my, you know, in my interior life. Now it's like my world is literally confined to the house I live in. It is just it is that small. And I think that there is there is something that is for me, at least that unhinges me a lot when I think about um, how little I can do or how meaningless everything is and it just takes me you know it takes me to like chapter three of your book when you are seven years old bird watching with your dad and you ask him about the meaning of life a question I would have never asked my dad because I can already (laughs) see the annoyance across his face (laughs) really well what do you think he would say what would his reaction oh be? my dad would have literally said stop asking so many questions which is yeah. what my parents always said whenever I asked questions that they didn't have answers to and then I would hear them like shade me privately and be like "Ugh, I mean I asked so <laughs> many questions oh my god they're like that curiosity <laughs> <laughs> yeah my parents were parents who were like sick of my curiosity because they don't like it when they can't answer questions
2: yeah oh that's so interesting yeah i certainly had a, i mean he delighted in smacking down any desire for meaning religion magic spirituality but he did reward curiosity for sure so i was lucky for that <laughs> but he very quickly was just like ha 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 there's no meaning and anyone who tells you there is is lying i uh, mean which is like
0: devastating if you're someone who craves magic and craves meaning
2: yeah And it was so finite. There was no, like, maybe ambiguity. Like, it was the most dogmatic nihilist atheist answer. And that was just, I mean, that was, like, one example, but that was just every turn. He takes joy in meaninglessness and in squashing, like, any form of religion (laughs) or magic or spirituality. I don't know. That's his own religion. But, uh, yeah, it was a weirdly pretty profoundly, like, shocking moment. Which I guess means I thought that there should be meaning.
0: I mean, I read that in so many ways, too. I think that there is something about, like, being a kid where you look up to adults who are the ones who are supposed to have so many answers and they say something that, you know, they either say nothing or they say something that really challenges your idea of what an adult is supposed to bring to your life. Yeah. I think that is really terrifying as a kid. And I think that the parallel in this moment is still that... You know, I'm like, I'm 35 and I still feel like a child whenever I watch the news because I want someone to just tell me what to do. Right. And you realize that that person does not exist.
2: Yeah, I know. And it's been so intense with this. It's like, does a mask help? Does a mask not help? Is it six feet? Is it 10 feet? Is it gonna pass? Is there gonna be a second wave? We're so nakedly lost. And then also rightly, I think, disdainful of overconfidence because we're just in it. We're just in a, a ton of uncertainty it's so hard and there's nothing to do about it, but it's just, it has made me think a lot
0: about how people are resilient because I, I truly, and I've been trying to read so much about it of, you know, like, can we make people more resilient or some people just born with it? Or, you know, what is the, what is the wiring of someone who just looks into like darkness and chaos and says i'm just gonna i'm just gonna put one foot in front of the other because you have no choice yeah and i think that we can all point to moments in our lives where we've done that but i think that collectively it's really hard to quantify
2: i mean i think one having studied this guy who is so good at it uh bordering on sociopathic but like i do think one of the the lessons and it's like take this or leave this, but I do think one thing he really does is he draws no lesson, he makes no pattern out of repeated failures. Like he just doesn't say, Mm -hmm. oh, because it keeps not working, it's not going to work. Or because I keep failing, I'm bad. He just does not see that pattern or draw that lesson. And I think for like, probably especially for women, like to not take the message that <laughs> multiple failures in a row mean you're bad is a useful. Like we could all use a little of uh, unconnecting those dots, and and I think, I think that's a lesson from him. Like you know, accepting like everything is uncertain and we are ruled by chaos, and so therefore, as a person trying to succeed in the world, like we're gonna be just dotted with rejections, failures, criticism, but. But like what, you know, why not keep going because you may occasionally like trip and succeed. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a quick
0: break. Are a very resilient person because it's just, you know, it's like reading the book, there's so much um, joy and sorrow mixed in at the same time. And it's interesting because I've listened to you on the radio for years, like truly years. And reading about you, you know, like when you talk about your suicide attempt and all of the despair that surrounds that, it was so interesting to me as someone who I think only knows your radio persona to just be like oh wow like this person who sounds so cheerful and cheery and you know is so curious and always just leads with so much joy as someone also who has had to deal with this incredible amount of darkness the perception that i have of, of you on the radio is is completely correct but it is not the full picture of who you are yeah and i think that you know reading the book and and thinking about the radio personality construct that I have of you in my head it was something that it was it was really painful to read obviously for um for many reasons but it was also very um there was something really encouraging about it for me so thank you for writing about Oh,
2: that. I'm glad well here like I've in the last couple days you know two people from my childhood like a, a mom of a really dear friend and a really good friend both wrote and were like oh I'm I got the book, but I'm actually really nervous to read it. I think I've been so guarded about, like I think actually so much of my identity is built out of the moment after I survived the suicide attempt where I was so embarrassed and I never wanted anyone to know that. Like I was just like, I don't want to be a burden. I don't don't want them to take whatever meaning or judgments they're going to take from this. And so like, I think a lot of my personality has been like, I bought overalls and started doing improv and like got real hokey (laughs) or like I was probably always hokey, but um, I think a lot of it has been built around being like, don't worry. I'm not, I don't, I'm not, you don't, I don't know. There's just this fear that like that would be a burden or unlovable. Like you don't want to be with someone who's going to ever need you in that way. Or like, there's just a big fear around that. And to the extent that I was fact checking some stuff with my oldest sister And I was like, yeah, you know, and because I share a little bit about her own struggle with like mental health stuff. And then I'm like, and you know, I'm putting, I'm decided to put in the fact about my suicide attempt. And she was like, you tried to commit suicide? She had no idea. And that was like how much we protected it from her. Like even just within, and I had assumed I was 16, she was 23. I had assumed my parents told her but they hadn't told her. And I'm like, even within a family, like, and I was like, oh yeah. And then she got really worried. And for a couple of weeks it was like, oh my God, are, are you still struggling with that? And I was like, no, like, uh, I mean, you know, like in the book honors that like, you still have dark thoughts. I don't think that's a vanquished thought ever. I, I'm just teaching myself to be less afraid of it. But uh, and that just took it home for me that I just like assumed for the last 20 years, we were walking around with that shared knowledge. and she's my sister. And she didn't know that, you know, so I think like, it was not in the first draft. And it kind of came out in some free writing and my editor being like, why do you care about these big abstract questions about meaning? And I was like, well, you know, that was why it's like, how do you, if nothing means anything, how do you convince yourself to stay on a day when you don't want to stay? And that's, that's what I was looking for in Mm -hmm. him, honestly, if I'm naked about it. And so finally decided to put it in. And and it was hard to do it. But then I was also like, I've been for 15 years asking people to like tell me their deep, dark secrets on the air. And and it helps people. Like it helps me as the listener. I'm hungry for it. I'm minding it out of people because I want to see how they climb out of hurt. And it helps listeners, people write in like, and then I was like, all right, it's my turn to do it. Like, why not? I just fuck it. Here it is. Okay. I was a cheater. Like, oh, this is my darkest shames. Like, I just felt like it was time to, just put them out there and it it's been scary but it, it's been so far good it yeah it feels like honest so just taking off this jacket that i've been wearing for a long time This makes
0: me feel so emotional hearing you say (laughs) all of this. Do you feel freer every day? Like now that all of the, you know, it's like the shame is just the minute you put light on it, it doesn't belong to darkness anymore.
2: Yeah, I think this suicide one, I actually feel okay about the cheating one. I still feel a lot of shame about, but Mm. the, um, but like, I mean, it's had these interesting moments. So my, my mother-in-law, I finally like got her a, a copy about two weeks ago and and she was reading it like before everyone, and um, we all went on a walk together a couple days ago. <laughs> and she was like, "I read the book," and I'm, she was like, "I'm so proud of you." And you know, and I, and she like kind of bumped, like Corona bumped my shoulder. We were both in puffy jackets, and it was like this profound moment where I'm like, my mother-in-law knows that I cheated on the person before, her, like that like on a serious relationship that i have that in me like that i could disrespect her daughter in that way like that her daughter married a cheater like there's just this huge shame and worry of her ever knowing that but now she knows it and it like allowed for just this like it's just creating these weird conversations and then she's sharing stories about like friends or just people who seem to have it all together but don't and that sharing is way more important than illusions of perfection and it just was like this giant worry dissolved in a corona shoulder bump. Like it just was so powerful, you know, and it's been kind of beautiful to just think you can show your ugliest parts and not have that mean a shutdown or a rejection. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think that especially in a moment like this, <laughs> you know, like in a pandemic, I'm like, if you cannot be yourself when the rest of the yes. world is going to just like shit, yes. I like, I just have no faith that the, the human condition <laughs> can be overcome. So there is something like, I don't know, there's something so profound about that to me where I was like, you know, like there is the chaos of your life and there's the chaos of the world. yeah, And I think that you know the chaos that's outside of yourself will always be bigger, but it never feels that way when you're a self-centered person. Like, right? You always think like, oh, yeah. Like, what is going on with me is like it's bigger than everything, and it's like, no. Welcome to COVID nineteen. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you can't say the honest truth about who you are, like who knows when you're going to get a chance to say that next?
2: Yeah, and I do think okay, this is like a weird silver lining ish thing, but okay. So like right now, I'm looking. You know, I'm looking at my neighbors and. Apartments, but I can't, you know, like see them or talk to them, and it's like this weird isolation where we're like very close to the soup in which we swim, but we're not in it. Like we're we're isolated, Mm. and like that does allow for this little untethering. Like I've been going a little batty, and in that there is this untethering from norms. Like we're all in these little microcosms, and like maybe we just experiment with. Like, getting a break from all... Like, like that actually maybe there's something... Like, all right, who do we become with this distance, with this safe distance where we're... We can see where we came from and the world we're a part of, but actually we're, like, we have some time to, like, try new things. Just go a little batty. I don't know. I don't know. I've been thinking about that. I'm definitely going a little batty. Have you done anything particularly baddie? Oh, what have I... Well, besides mask, Google, like besides Spanish. Well, questions. besides Googling the masks, <laughs> I, ha, you know, it's like,
0: I think that the thing that's going on with me in this moment is that I'm really either like doubling down on relationships with people that I feel a need to be around and also mm-hmm. feing, feeling very free to let a lot of relationships mm-hmm. just go and being really honest about it. Hmm. And so it's, yeah, I was like the the distance... Th- there is now physical distance and I'm realizing that there's a kind of relationship that I have that requires um, in-person connection a lot. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it just does not, it doesn't <laughs> happen. Like my relationship with Anne is not a relationship that is that way because it's like we, we are used to navigating the distance already. It's like we, we have a lot of problems. A pandemic is not one of them. Yeah. Um. So... We can handle that. And that's true for, like, a lot of my, like, other long-distance friends. But there are, there are like, friendships or, like, romantic relationships that I've had where I was like, oh, no, I need to see this person every day. Otherwise, like, it's, like, we are not connecting. Hmm. And really starting to unpack that and to understand, like, what that's about.
2: Yeah. The ones, like, that are, like, a little bit letting go right now, does that feel good or does that feel... sad it feels good and i feel really guilty about it no don't feel guilty. oh my god we're all gonna die too soon to feel guilty (laughs) (laughs) um some of us are gonna die right on time honestly (laughs) (laughs) but see that's so interesting so then what do you think is what is it that so are you saying that it's like just not having to have the the face time with them that lets you realize like oh actually I don't need to maintain this and it feels good or is it something else about the distance that's letting you just drop it
0: I think that that's what I'm trying to figure out of like what is it um you know like what is it about my wiring mm-hmm. that that makes me feel uneasy when I need um I need to be like in person with someone in order to connect with them I think hmm. that I'm really trying to answer that question I think that in a moment like this where every minute is precious you just like realize that you can't connect with a hundred people like it's just not gonna happen and I really suffer from a like, a, I'm, an, I'm an emotional cheater, I think. Mm-hmm. In the yeah. Sense <laughs> just like, I am, my emotions are overextended everywhere. And I was like, oh, this is not a sustainable way to do life. And it's what I spend every, like, you know, I'm like, my therapist is like sick of talking about this. <laughs> but I'm very much like how, I was like, there are 24 Beyonce hours in the day. I love a thousand people. Right. How do I give them Who all the them? love that they deserve? And it is just you know, like this moment is really, it's really forcing me to make tough choices and also to be really honest with myself about, yeah. you know, like what, like what is it that I put in my relationship and what is it that I want out of them? And, so, and which
2: ones do you actually authentically want? I mean, that has been such a, see, cause I was wondering, you were, you were saying like, why do I connect better in person? But it almost sounds to me, I may be totally wrong, but it almost sounds like when you're in person you just do connect because you're you and and you can give that but once you're like freed of of having to just go on that autopilot they're not someone who's like who you actually want to give your time and your energy and your I don't know I'm still you
0: know I'm I'm figuring it out but it's just it's so weird it's so you know it's it's truly the great privilege of like there's a roof over my head there's you know like the groceries are getting delivered like I don't have any real um you know like i like i am not suffering in this pandemic like that is just i i think that that's like worth that like bears repeating that the amount of privilege that so many of us have that we can work from home and really like we're fine it is a huge inconvenience but we are fine right um is real but i like the thing that i did not expect is to have these like really deep you know like probing questions that are you know like what is my world who is in my world yeah what does it mean to be friends with someone that that's the kind of stuff that like keeps me awake at night i had um i had an ex-boyfriend send me a text on like day two of pandemic and was (laughs) like haha how are you doing (laughs) and i never um and i didn't respond to it because i was really annoyed at first i was like please like the world is falling apart it does not mean that you have access to still talk to me yeah and uh and i responded to him finally yesterday and he was like you're only 28 days late on this text he was like that is so you (laughs) and whatever whatever relationship was but it was you know i don't know in that moment it just he he was so gracious and we had like a really funny exchange yeah and uh you know and then he was like we should facetime and i got to meet his new girlfriend and it was so Odd and funny, and just you know, and I was like, I can't. I was like, the human spirit is really beautiful.
2: Wow, like it
0: was good, it was so good. It was (sighs) so good. Yeah, I like, I really like her. Um, I was like, great, like, she's awesome, right? Um, you know and I was like and but there was just something about like the me of 30 days ago would have never done that
2: yeah and I think it's like it's the hunger it's like the hunger for the authentic connection and you're like who yeah who am I gonna do this I know but also you know
0: I was like I was like I was mad at this person for so long for something that was really petty actually you know and I was like if (laughs) the world is ending will I have like one last laugh with them like absolutely yeah and it ended up being like the funnest Zoom I've been on in like 30 days of Zooms oh my
2: god right I'm just saying do something Something reckless every once in a while oh heck yeah I mean yeah I yeah I think so but that's interesting I mean and so it's like maybe our job is to like notice these things and these lessons and like don't just chalk it up to isolation and be like shit well if you know like we have the privilege of being safe in this time then like is a thing we do, I mean, I don't know, this is maybe too self-serving, but like is a thing we do notice that and actually make our life a little better and enjoy our life a little more because we are still gifted with life and like notice the change or the observation that came in isolation and and don't just go back to the autopilot of giving your energy to the people who drain you or like, like maybe there's some little gut check to take from this time and be like, who did I as slightly altered baddie self what did i notice or what did i do and is there something i take back into the the life of connection that's different i don't know i'm washing my hair a lot less that's for <laughs> sure that's for sure
0: <laughs> i don't think i'm ever going to be able to wear like pants ever again. i know
2: like, I like what's that- a
0: pant <laughs> never wearing i i've started calling them hard pants and i'm never wearing (laughs) hard pants again um that's those days are over oh my god hard pants
2: yeah hard pants are over bras oh my god
0: (laughs) i know bras are canceled yeah Uh, it's just you know but at the same time i'm just like the the world really is always falling apart so you might as well be exactly who you want
2: to be yeah yeah oh we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. We are. <laughs> yeah. I th- yeah. I think so. I think so.
0: I love that. But you know what? I'm going to take that message to heart. Um, Keep showing up because we need it more than ever now.
2: Yes. Totally. And show up for your friends. I think, like, that's the, yeah, that's the little miracle love story, like, that we all just, we're the friends that are there for you, like, for no reason. Like, you're not, you know, like you're not sharing an income or a household or a child or a bloodline. Like you're just, you're just there for each other, and that's like in in the. I do, I have had that thought that like in the chaos it, that my dad cursed me with at a young age, it, that I am a true believer in, in the sense of a planet that's meaningless, filled with creatures that are inherently evolutionarily wired to be selfish. Friendship is the outlier. Like, why are we good to each other? Aww. Like, like it is.
0: It makes no sense. It truly makes no sense. And it like in my darkest moments, it really, uh, I like start to examine religion, where I was like, religion is the only place where they answer this question of like, why are you loved when you don't deserve it? Yeah, and I was like, I can't go there because that is truly the dark side. Huh? Um, <laughs> yeah. But also, but also, I'm like, I uh, yeah, I was like, the love of my friends, I don't deserve it, and I am overwhelmed by it every single day. Yeah. Um, You are the best, Willow Miller. I hope you have a great day and I will see you on the internet.
2: It was so, so great to talk to you, Amina. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for
1: that conversation. Hey, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I really, I love the simplicity of you just being able to say you're welcome. Um, I am very grateful. I also want to give listeners a heads up that we're going to do for the rest of May episodes that kind of feel like this that are about bigger feelings and themes of this moment and talking to people who are helping us approach them in new ways i don't know is that a fair way to describe it that is more than a fair way to describe it so i guess i will socially distantly hear you back here next week <laughs> i was gonna say see you i'm like mm. <laughs>
0: oh, i miss you a lot am friedman
1: I miss you, too. I really, uh, like, the before is so, so long ago, truly. The before times. I'll see you on the internet. See you on the internet.
0: You can find us many places on the internet. Callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all your faves. Subscribe, rate, review, you know the drill. You can call us back, leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf. And you can buy our book, Big Friendship, anywhere you buy books. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. We have editorial support from Laura Bertacci. Producer is Jordan Bailey. This podcast is produced by Gina Delvac.